0: Would you please turn with me in your Bibles at this time to Psalm 63? Psalm 63, we're going to be looking at today as we continue along in our Summer in the Psalms series. So, Psalm 63 begins a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Please follow along, starting in verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. for the mouth of liars will be stopped. Lord, again, we thank you for your word and for this time that we can spend together in it. We know that all scripture is breathed out by you and that it's able to make us wise for salvation and equip us for every good work. So, Lord, we ask now that by your spirit, you would do that good work in us, equipping and edifying us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, Forbes magazine surveyed its subscribers with this question. If you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would that be? They then revealed the results of the survey in a later article that highlighted eight things that people desperately desire. Number one was happiness. Number two, money. Number three, freedom. Number four, peace number five, joy, number six, balance, number seven, fulfillment, and number eight, confidence. Those are some interesting results. Uh, I wasn't too surprised by them, but it was interesting and, and it got me wondering, how would you and I respond to the same question? What do you want more of in your life? What do you desperately desire? Well, from reading this morning's text, it should be obvious how David, the king of Israel and man after God's own heart, would have responded. In one word, David clearly wanted more of God in his life. That's what he desperately desired. That's what he was earnestly seeking after, what he was living for. He wanted to know God more. And as fellow children of God, we should want the same. Like David, we too should desperately desire to know God more. In his classic book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer made this biblical observation. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. And what is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. And of course, this morning's text concurs with that. And that means that like David, first, we should want to know God more personally. David begins, "O oh God, you are my God. Notice, David doesn't say you are a God or even the God. He says, you are my God. It's like the difference between me saying, oh, here is a wife and here is my wife, right? The latter implies an an intimate, familial, personal knowledge of someone whom I love. And that's precisely how David knew God. He knew him personally through personal trust, personal faith in him. We see this in chapter 31 also. Chapter 31 Verse 14, here David says, But I trust in you, O Lord, I say you are my God. We also see this in another very well-known psalm, Psalm 42. In verse 6 and verse 11, David says twice, he says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 91, verse 2 is another place where we see this. Same personal identification with God. Verse two, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Well, this is the same personal way that you and I can know God too. In fact, this is the very essence of eternal life, which Christ came to offer to give to all of those who would believe in him and put their trust in him. John 17 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So friends, do you and I, do we know God like that? Savingly, personally, intimately, again, not as the God, but as my God. It's been said the greatest need in the church today is for people who know God by more than hearsay. Like David did. And I hope each of us do too, increasingly so. We should want to know God more personally like that. But then also we go on, we see that like David, we should want to know God more passionately. He says, earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, remember, we're told at the beginning that David wrote this psalm while he was in the wilderness of Judah, which most likely was referring to what happened as recorded in 2 Samuel 15 to 19, when David fled Jerusalem to hide in the desert because of his rebellious son, Absalom. Uh, He was about to attack the city in order to depose his father of his kingly rule over Israel and sit on the throne. So it was in that context, while David was in the desert and he was thirsting for water and fainting for food, that he recognized how much more he thirsted and fainted for God. How he could no, long, no more live without God than he could live without water and food. And that caused him to earnestly seek God, or literally early seek God. Just as you do something early in the morning, it shows an eagerness. Well, he was eagerly, earnestly seeking after God with all of his soul, with all of his strength. It's the same longing expressed throughout the Psalms. For example, if we go back again to to Psalm 42, the first two verses, the psalmist says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Powerful image of of longing for God. We see it also in Psalm 84. Psalm 84, verse 2. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And then also near the end of the book of Psalms in Psalm 143. Psalm 143 verses 5 to 6. Here David again says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Same image there. Now, reading these verses and David's passionate longing for God, it reminds me of of A.W. Tozer, who also longed for more of God like that. And he he often spoke of others who longed for God in that way as the society of burning hearts, thirsting and hungering for God. Those who could confess with Bernard, one of Tozer's influences, who said, we taste thee. O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We, we drink of thee the fountainhead, and still our soul from thee to fill. Now can you and I can we relate to that at all, That, that longing, that panting, that thirsting, that burning heart, I want more of God? Well, we should. Like David, we should want to know God more passionately because that's what we were made for. But we also should want to know God more proactively like David. In verse 2, he goes on, he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Before being driven into the wilderness by the the coup d'etat of his son Absalom, David would regularly worship the Lord with God's people in the tabernacle. And it was there that he had previously encountered God in a powerful way that now, while he was in exile and and away from the tabernacle, his longing was, was intensified for more of that power and glory of God he had once seen. And probably the most Well-known in in Psalm 27, verse 4, the well-known expression of this longing is seen. Psalm 27, verse 4, where David says something remarkable. He says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That was his heart. It was was to go and look upon the Lord, to seek the Lord where he could be found. But notice he didn't didn't just talk about going to the place where God specially dwelt in the old covenant age. We know at that time, uh, God's glory was specially manifested in the tabernacle in a specific place. But he didn't just passively attend a service in the sanctuary. No, it says he actively looked upon God, whom he longed to see and savor more deeply. Much like Moses, who actively asked the Lord in Exodus 30, uh, thirty-three eighteen, 18, he said, God, please show me your glory. Even though he'd already seen it in incredible ways, ways we can't even comprehend in the Exodus. Nevertheless, he was longing for more of God. And so he asked. Here, David wanted more of God. And so he looked and if we want more of God, we must do the same. Not passively expecting to know him more, but proactively looking upon the Lord. And where do we look? We don't look in any place because God doesn't dwell in a special place anymore. No, we look to a person. We look to Jesus Christ, the true temple of God. And we look to his body, the church, who also is the temple of God, where he dwells in his people, in us. Like we often sing together, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. It's that same seeking, that same looking. We should want to know God more proactively like that. I'm not just going to passively hope to know God more. I'm going to go after God fully where he's found. But fourth, we should also want to know God more preeminently. Verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. That is an astonishing statement that sadly has been often trivialized in our day because, you know, you see this thing like on a coffee mug or, or this, this profound verse is put to some hokey music. I mean, honestly... Whenever I read this verse, I always think of that chorus. Your loving kindness is better than life. And I just got to tell you, that just trivializes this profound statement. This is not a nice catchphrase, sentimental catchphrase. No, it is a counterintuitive, countercultural confession that I would rather die than lose the love of God. That knowing and experiencing God's love is infinitely better than anything else, even life itself, precisely because God's love cannot be lost. It's a steadfast love. It's a loyal love. It's a faithful love, an unfailing love that lasts forever. Like we see in Psalm 118, over and over again, your steadfast love, right? Or we see in famous Psalm 23, verse 6. Where David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what his steadfast love is about. And you know, this all reminds me of Paul. Who we see in Philippians chapter 1. He was facing, he was in prison and he was facing possible execution. And he says this. He says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, David's saying, you know, I'm staring death in the face and I can't decide what I want. You know, really what I want is to die and... And be with Christ, that's far better. But because I have this ministry to other believers, I should probably hope to stay. (laughs) Who talks like that? Paul did. David did. And so should we. We should want to know God more preeminently so that he is truly better than life. Because his steadfast love is so sweet and so amazing. And that's the motivation to wanting to know God more. Him pouring out his love for us and us wanting to pour out our love to him and experience more of it. But then fifth, we should also want to know God more persistently. Verse four, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your hands, I will lift up. Sorry, in your name, I will lift up my hands so David desired to seek the Lord and know the Lord and bless the Lord all of his life that meant not only in bad times like he was in right now when everything was taken away and honestly it's a bit easier to long after God because it's like well I got nothing left but also in the good times when all was restored right David wanted to to know God more and bless him and praise him and rejoice in him in the wilderness and in the palace with hands, he says, lifted up in heaven in your name, which is a posture ready to receive more of God. Right? David wanted to praise and pursue God in prayer, but then also one day in person. We see this at the end also of the book of Psalms, in Psalm 145 and 146, at the beginning of each of those psalms. Psalm 145, Psalm of David, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Psalm 146, same thing. Verse 1 to 2, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Now, is that also our persistent Pursuit and purpose and prayer to know God more. Let me know you more each and every day and then one day know you perfectly in glory. Thomas Aquinas prayed, Bestow on me, O Lord my God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, and a faithfulness that may finally embrace you through Jesus Christ our Lord. We should want to know God more persistently every day with all of our being. But then verse 5, we see we should also want to know God like David more pleasurably. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Now again, at this point in David's life, everything he held dear had been taken away from him. But nevertheless... He claimed here that his soul, his, his whole inner being, could be satisfied. You know, just as, using this image, just as his stomach had been filled in those royal banquets with fine, rich food in the past. In fact, he said that even though everything had been taken away, he could sing with joyful lips amongst such a jarring loss. Why? Because his ultimate source of satisfaction was not in the people and places that he had lost. But rather in the presence and pleasures of the Lord himself. Knowing God filled and thrilled his soul and nobody could take that away. We look over to Psalm 65, verse 4. We read the same thing. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. Well, church, we can experience the very same satisfaction in God that, again, no one can take away. Actually, we can experience it even more than David. Because unlike him, we now experience God more fully in the new covenant age in Jesus Christ. Who said, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst." John 6:35. and later in, in John 15:11, "These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full." Wow. First century martyr Ignatius, he knew this overwhelming pleasure in Christ well. He said, let fire and the cross, let the companions of wild beasts, let the breakings of bones and the tearing of members, let the shattering in pieces of the whole body and all the wicked torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me enjoy Jesus Christ. Sounds like David. And that's what we should sound like too. We should want to know God more pleasurably, that he satisfies us like nothing else. But there's still more. Verse six, we see that like David, we should also want to know God more prayerfully. He says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. I don't know about the rest of you, but when I wake up in the middle of the night, my first thoughts are usually, hmm, I got to go to the bathroom, right? Or I'm thirsty. Or maybe if there's a very stressful Situation I'm facing, my mind goes straight to that. But not David. No, his thoughts in the middle of the night went straight to God. So that the watches of the night, the hours usually devoted to sleep, were now devoted to prayerful meditation of God. Oh, I woke up in the middle of the night. Oh, time to meditate on the Lord. Thank you for this moment to do that. That was David's experience. Which we saw weeks ago is is critical in knowing our knowledge of growing in our knowledge of god it's that it's that meditation you remember psalm 119 verse uh 97 to 100 there the psalmist said how i love your law it is my meditation all the day and of course meditating on the law meant meditating on god who it revealed Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Meditation meant growing in wisdom. And at the center of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's knowing God more. That was David's experience. And Jesus also and he was the prime example of this, making communion with God his priority. Mark 1.35 says, And rising very early in the morning while it was dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is a practice countless Christians have followed, of course, ever since. Going to a private place to meditate on the Lord in order to know him more deeply and personally. Like A.W. Tozer again, who who after his conversion as a teenager, took over a, a dingy corner in the basement of his parents' farmhouse where he would spend hours alone meditating on the word of God, being in prayer. And then later in his life as a pastor, we're told that he did the same in his office. Almost every morning, his secretary said that he would spend hours face down On the office floor, no one could bother him, just wanting to meditate on God and to pray and know him more. Or the 18th century Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane, who wrote in his diary one day, I rose early to seek God and found him whom my soul loveth. Who would not rise early to meet such company? I had some sweet seasons of communion with the unseen God, which I would not give up for thousands of gold and silver. That reminds us, church, that this prayerful meditation on God is not something we've got to do, but something we get to do. Spending time with the one who satisfies our soul, with the greatest company imaginable, seeking and finding more of God, which is why, like David, we should want to know God more prayerfully. But there's more. Verse 7 and 8, we should also want to know God more powerfully. Psalmist David goes on, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So throughout David's whole life, the Lord had faithfully provided and protected him in amazing ways. He uses this great imagery, like a, like a mother bird covering her, her babies with her wings. We had Uh, a a mother robin with four little baby robins this early uh, summer in our yard. And we saw her just sitting there covering them. What a great picture. That was God for David. And so now in the wilderness, as he was hiding from Absalom and his, his army, he continued to cling to God for help. He knew he would continue to help him. Right? Again, the Lord proved faithful, upholding his servant through it all And that wasn't just the experience of David. We read in Psalm 94 uh, verses 16 to 18. It also was the experience of this psalmist. It may have been David writing this, but maybe someone else. We read Psalm 94, 16 to 18. "He rises up for me against the or sorry, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence." When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. Love that. How good it is when we powerlessly hold on to God and then God faithfully, powerfully holds us up through it all. Like Patrick of Ireland, who said, I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's shield to protect me, and God's host to save me from the snares of the devils. Or the prophet Isaiah, who said, fear not, for I am with you. Speaking for God. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 I know we've all experienced that before. But like David, we should want to know God more powerfully as we rely on him to hold us up and cling to him every day. But then finally, verse 9 to 11, we also see that like David, we should want to know God more positively. Positively. He concludes, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So David's mind for a moment is returning from the Lord to the perilous circumstances he is under. David remembers here that he is the rightful king of Israel whom God had appointed and anointed for this position. And therefore, because he knew that, he was not afraid. And he could be confident in the end that his enemies would expire and he would exalt in the Lord. That confidence is amazing. But it's because he knew God is my God. He is for me. And therefore, I can trust him in the end. That I will exalt him. David said the same thing in Psalm 21. Psalm 21, verse 1. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. And in your salvation how greatly he exalts. Spurgeon said of the passage in Psalm 63, Every blow aimed against the godly will recoil on the persecutor. He who smites a believer drives a nail in his own coffin. And that's exactly what happened for David. We see in 2 Samuel 18 where his enemies were defeated. His son, which of course was very bittersweet, but what a difference that made for David, nevertheless, to know at this point, before that, God is for me. He's made promises to me as his anointed king. I'm going to trust in him, knowing I will one day exalt in him. And we can have the same confidence, knowing that in the end, justice will prevail. When Christ returns and we can exalt in him, knowing that God is for me us his people he will not abandon us and that's a final reason why like david we should desperately desire to know god more earnestly i seek you my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water like David, that church should be our priority, our passion, our pursuit. What we want more of in this life, what we desire most above all else. So is it, is knowing God what you and I ultimately are living for Or like everyone else in our society, are we rather living for more happiness, more money, more freedom, more peace, more joy, more balance, more fulfillment, more confidence apart from God? Well, after considering David's example in our text, I'm sure every one of us, if we're honest, would say, I don't desire God as much as I should. And I often long for these other things more. So how do we change that then? How do we develop a deeper desire for God? Well, you know, the answer is found right here in our psalm and really throughout the psalms in general. The way we develop a desire for God is the practice of pondering and praising God. Reflecting on God and rejoicing in God. Wondering at his love that is better than life and then worshiping him in love all our lives notice how God-centered this psalm is how David is just constantly talking about God who he is what he's done what he means to those who belong to him and of course not just this psalm but all of the psalms and then notice how David then is just constantly talking about God and talking to God praising God's name rejoicing in him singing it is this repeated practice that we see throughout the psalms Ponder, praise, remember, rejoice, wonder, worship, meditate, and magnify the Lord. That is what was feeding David's desire for more of God. Thinking and talking about him with daily devotion, and that's how you and I can develop that desire too. Listen, if if money is what you mostly think and talk about, then money is what you will be living for. If health is what you mostly think and talk about, your health is what you will ultimately be living for. If work and your career is what you mostly think and talk about, then your work career is what you're going to be ultimately living for. If Sports is what you mostly think and talk about, sports is what you're going to be living for. If politics is what you mostly think and talk about, politics is what you're going to be living for. If hobbies is what you mostly think and talk about, your hobbies is what you're going to be living for. If sex is what you mostly think and talk about, then sex is what you're ultimately going to be living for. If family is what you mostly think and talk about, then family is what you're ultimately going to be living for. But if God is what you mostly, centrally, primarily think and talk about, then God is what you will ultimately be living for. And you will find yourself hungering and thirsting after him like never before. Which will then put all these other things, good things, in their proper place. Many years ago, while building a house with Habitat for Humanity in Guatemala with a the team there, some of us who were getting tired of uh, tortillas and beans at every meal, we started talking about all of our favorite foods back home. And the more we thought about it and the more we talked about it, the more hungrier and hungrier we got. I have never wanted a burger and fries more in my whole life. So that once we got to Guatemala City, the first thing we found was a McDonald's. Well, again, the same is true with knowing God. The more we think and talk about him privately and publicly, pondering and praising, remembering and rejoicing, meditating and magnifying the Lord, the more we will hunger and thirst for him, the more we will want to know him until our souls are satisfied, like David said, with fat and rich food. And so let's ask him now for the grace to do just that. And I'll do something a little different. I want to end by using a prayer from A.W. Tozer in his book The Pursuit of God. And as I pray this, may this be our prayer for ourselves as well. O oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire O God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory. I praise thee that so I may know thee indeed. Begin a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from the misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name.